we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing, we've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. Today on Buffalo What's Next, we honor Holocaust Remembrance Day, or Yom HaShoah. That's my best effort with that particular uh, title. Uh, I'm Jay Moran, and with us today we have Greg Sherznevsky, a Holocaust survivor, and Lauren Bloomberg. She's the Director of Engagement with the Holocaust Resource Center of Buffalo for the Jewish Federation of Buffalo. Yes. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for Thank having you. Lauren, I'm going to start with you in this regard because you know Greg's story very well. I'm, I'm getting to know it just in a little time that we had here in some of the notes. But talk about Greg and his story, how it uh, has come to your attention and why we want to uh, um, recognize it today. Greg has an incredible story. Um, he was an infant during the Holocaust, so his memories are shared through his father and other recollections that he had. Um, Greg is one of our most used speaker, Holocaust speakers, because he is a young survivor um, in the community through our Speakers Bureau at the Holocaust Resource Center. He goes into schools and community in the community weekly and tells his incredible story. Greg's story is also one that is so important to share because it is about not just him, but about a woman who sacrificed her life and safety to save a young Jewish infant and later became part of the Righteous Among Nations. So it is just a story that everybody needs to hear because of its importance. So, Greg, you were born in Vilnius, Lithuania. Yes. 1941. Yes. Uh, the Nazis had occupied at that time or not yet? I was born two months before Nazi invaded Soviet Union. My parents tried to escape, but did not manage to escape, so they had to remain in city. City was occupied just four years, four, I'm sorry, four days after beginning of uh, uh, invasion. June, June, June 26, city already was occupied. I was two months old. Hmm. Obviously, you don't remember no, that specifically, that, that, but we no. appreciate the, the, the outline. So then, how did life, as you can look back and understand, I'm sure you've pieced together your what happened in your infancy and your young childhood between your own memories and what other people have told you. What happened next for your family? Well, uh, from day one, even before city was occupied, Jews already suffered from uh, local population, but as soon as city was occupied, those famous Nuremberg laws were implemented, uh, and Jews were 
grabbed on streets and there were houses and there were businesses and taken to nearby forest place, uh, which called Panavi, and executed there. But chasing Jews all over the city was very non-productive. So I think it's at the end of August or beginning of September, Nazis requested all the city Jews to move to very small area of what uh, is called as Old Town. It's traditionally Jewish area, but they make it even smaller and created ghetto. Actually, they created two ghettos. Uh, ghetto number two consisted of just three small streets, and it lasted just for one month. During that month, children, sick people, older people were taken to Panave and executed. Uh, people capable of working were moved to ghetto number one. Uh, you may call it luck, but my parents with me at, at the time, I think about five months old, were forced to move immediately to ghetto number one. Otherwise, I would be dead if we ended up at ghetto two. And right away, uh, Nazis started so-called actions. There were children actions, there were senior actions. Actions meaning they were looking for specific people like children. Children were non-productive. They were consumers of food, useless. So they were having action, arresting children and taking to Panave and executing the same. Children. Children, yes. Uh, during two such children actions, my parents managed to hide me, but they realized that they will not be able to hide me endlessly. And at the same time, when uh, Ghetto 2 was already liquidated, and my father's relatives were forced to move to get number one. My father found out that all my cousins, three, four, five years old, already were dead. Mm. So they realized that they have to do something to save my life. So they were looking for ways, first of all, how to smuggle me out of ghetto and where to smuggle. And they found out about Polish woman living in the city. Her name is Miss Alexandra Dziewiecki. Totally non-political person. She didn't care for communism. She didn't care for fascism. She cared for children. She had heart of gold. She didn't have her own children. But if she saw orphan on the street, she made sure to take the child to her apartment to feed the child and try to f find family which will accept the child. If she did not succeed, the child stayed with her. And my parents found out about her and managed to communicate with her, asking if she will agree to take in Jewish child. And she agreed. She was deeply, deeply religion Catholic woman. So now my parents had place where to hide me. 
now how to smuggle me mm. out of ghetto. Uh, that ghetto number one was was not big, maybe overall maybe ten short streets. You can walk from one side to another side of ghetto, maybe in less than ten minutes. But all the streets leading out of ghetto were blocked, and only one street had gates, and through that gate. A group of Jews in the morning were taken to their working places and at night were led back to ghetto. Uh, my mother was forced to work as cleaning lady in various city offices. And because she didn't have just one place, every day she had to go to different offices. She had to carry with her uh, her cleaning supply line, cleaning bucket. Rocks and so on. So one day, I think it was middle of November, 1941. I was seven months old. My parents put me into that bucket. I assume I don't know, but I assume maybe they gave me a few drops of some wine or something <laughs> keep, <laughs> to, make, keep quiet. to make sure that I will be sleeping in oh that my. bucket. Hmm and cover me with rocks. And in the morning when my mother was taken with a column of Jews to her workplace, she, as every morning, carries a bucket with her. And at a specific place, she just drops that bucket, picked up empty bucket, and continued. You know, I talk about it a number of times during the year with all my presentations, and I emphasize I am already 82 years old, and I still cannot imagine feeling of Jewish mother leaving her newborn child on the street, hoping that child will survive, hoping, not being sure, hoping. I, I cannot imagine her feeling. But bottom line, I ended up in the basement apartment of Miss Alexandra Javetsky. I want to obviously talk about Miss Alexandra, but, and you, you brought up that question, but I, just to follow up a little bit about your mother. That was the last time you saw your mother? Yes. This was the last time I saw her, last time I felt her touch. Yes. Seven months old in a bucket. Yes. But she saved your life. Yes, absolutely. Um, jumping ahead a little bit in the story, what happened to your mother? What do we know? In 1943, rumors spread around the city that ghetto will be liquidated. There was very active underground movement in ghetto, uh, but underground fighters decided instead of uprising like in Warsaw ghetto, they decided that better they will try to leave ghetto and join partisans in forest. So one of tasks performed by underground activities is to help young people to escape. But when the rumors spread that ghetto will be liquidated, uh, big group of Jews decided to live together. And that group was led by my parents. They were very active in underground activities. Uh, 
my father told me that eventually about 50, 60 Jews in one group, like normal group going to work, left openly through the gate. Uh, and when they were passing some place in the city where Jews were working, those working Jews realized that this escape is going on. So they joined that group and eventually became a group of about 150 people. Hmm. And they almost reached forest, but they were ambushed. And out of 150 people, only seven survived. My father survived and eventually reached partisans in forest and for more than a year continued fighting Nazis. My mother, unfortunately, was captured and taken to Panave and murdered. Um, you say there was an ambush. Are we talking, were they, was this uh, soldiers that ambushed these Jews? What do we know about that we ambush? Don't, I don't know. We don't know. The, uh, Probably my father told me I just don't remember. Sure, that's that's fine. <laughs> you don't have to remember every tale, yeah. detail, Greg, and I do appreciate it. We're talking with Greg Shersnetsky and Lauren Bloomberg uh, this morning. Yom HaShoah, it's the Holocaust Remembrance Day today. Uh, Greg is telling us his story, born in Vilnius, Lithuania, uh, survived the Holocaust. We just heard him talking about his mother, who did not. Your father did, though, and you said he continued to fight Nazis. Yes. How, where and how did he go about doing that? Uh, there were very active partisans movement in uh, Lithuania and White Russia. White Russia, Belarus had big forests uh, with very active partisans. Uh, my father joined uh, them and fought them until '44 when Vilnius was liberated. You end up meeting back with your father, but we can't we can't uh, go to that without talking about the woman who took you in, the Catholic woman who took you in. What was life, what do we know about life as a seven-month-old being adopted by a woman you never met before? She never met you. She didn't know your parents. Uh, she never met face-to-face -face my parents. Uh, she I don't know who picked up that bucket. Most likely her. Most likely she saw my mother dropping off that bucket, so maybe he saw her first. She never saw my father. Uh, so I ended up in her basement apartment, which I clearly remember how it looked like. You go to basement, staircase, basement, you open the door, an additional three steps already inside of that room going down to floor level. And it's long, narrow room, and the middle of the room arch separated into two, and an opposite wall window on the ground level because it's basement, a reasonably big window, person could climb through that, such windows. And to your right, big wood-burning stove, only heating, cooking facility. This I remember. I don't remember if there was electricity. I, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember. I remember that it always was dark. It was dark, 
it was cold and smoke. Mm. Smoke constantly was filling up that apartment because you had to heat it uh, during the winter, and during the winter you don't open the window. So smoke was constantly there. This I remember. Uh, I don't remember, of course, her taking me to City Hall for registration, but uh, when I ended up in her apartment, during the war, every person in the city has to be registered. Uh, Nazis requested that registration to make sure that there is no guerrillas living, hiding in the city and so on. Plus, food was distributing by vouchers to living re- residents. And suddenly, Miss Alexandra has seven-month-old baby unregistered. So she took me to city hall under Nazi power went to registration office and told them that she found child on the step of the church and she wants to register me and adopt me and need to register. To my luck, I didn't look like Jewish child, so she didn't risk that people will recognize a Jewish child. And being so deeply religion, she selected Catholic saint, Saint Stanislavus of Kostko, as my guardian angel. Uh, you know, biggest Polish church in Buffalo is Saint Stanislavus Church. And she registered me as Stanislav Marian, last name Kostko. So in one stroke of pen, Jewish boy Greg became Polish child Stanislav Marian. Now I was registered. She was getting vouchers for food, and she was reasonably saved. Uh, I don't know uh, if she was getting specific food for a child or or she was exchanging. uh, But on the one of pictures I have and I show it during my presentations, uh, oldest orphan living with her girl, I don't remember her name, uh, Christina. Christina, yes, I, I think her name is Christina. Uh, she was taking me on stroll along walls of ghetto, so my parents through the windows could see that I am alive and well. And at that picture, I look pretty well dressed, pretty well fed. So I assume that she took a really, really good care of me. And you have to realize, seven-month-old baby sees only one woman. And that woman taught me to walk, taught me to speak, and speak Polish language, mm. of course. I never call her by name. She taught me to call her Matenka, mommy. So she was my mommy, and she remained for the rest of my life as my my mommy, at least in my attitude toward her. Sure. Yes, she saved me. Anything, anything you, else? You, you're giving us uh, 
uh, great details here. The We talked before the, on the air, though, one memory that you have that lives with you, hunger. Hunger, yes. I told you hunger, and I told you my wife is also Holocaust survivor. Uh, her memory, you, can, you may call it lucky, they managed to escape before their city was occupied and ended up in Uzbekistan. But there was lack of food, lack of job. One of her brothers died from starvation. So she knows hunger as good as I know. And that feeling stays, I would say, in our blood. And it reflects in our attitude toward food. When we just came to the United States and we were watching TV, it was children's show, and they show food fight. Mm. We were horrified. We could not believe our own eyes. Even today, when we are average Americans, we can afford to go to a restaurant and leave something on plate. We never, ever leave food on plate. If we go to buffet, we take only as much food as we can eat to make sure that nothing goes to wait. This is in our blood. This is a remnant of that memory of hunger. I'm what, a Buffalo What's Next today. We are marking Yom HaShoah, the Holocaust Remembrance Day with us, Lauren Bloomberg. Uh, with the uh, Holocaust Resource Center here in Buffalo, part of the Jewish Federation of Buffalo, and Holocaust survivor Greg Scherzenevsky. And we should also mention that the voice you may have heard in the background before was from his wife, Raya. Um, Greg, let's go back to then Miss Alexandra. We'll call her your mother for now. Is that okay? Yes. Um, so you're, she teaches you to walk. Where? How did life, what was the trajectory of life then after she has you registered with the city? You're hopefully safe to a certain extent. How does life go from there? Well, you keep in mind I was baby. I don't. Rem- sure. I don't remember much. Uh, I just know that I was well taken care of. Uh, I know not that I remember, but I know for sure, and I have documents proving that she had number of children more. She had one more Jewish child. If we have time, I can tell story how that child survived. Okay. Her name is Gitella Gittelman. Do you think of her as your sister? You may call. Okay. Well, when we come back to her, we'll ask about your sister. Okay, but go ahead. Continue on. That I remember. I remember more after the war when my father eventually came back and eventually picked me up. But I still was attached to Miss Alexandra, and I clearly remember uh, my father taking me to kindergarten, which means that I was six, six less than yeah, six uh-huh. years old. Right. And I knew that Miss Alexandra was living not far away, really very close to like, kindergarten. And kindergarten was on second floor of the building, and my father always was in a rush to get to his job. So he just opened the door, 
push me in and says, okay, go up to kindergarten. And I stood behind the door waiting for my father to leave. And when he left, I ran to Miss Alexander. <laughs> and it lasted almost months. Until <laughs> my father got called that what's going on with your child? Your ch you, you are not bringing your child. So one day my father was waiting for me behind corner and grabbed me, where are you going? So I told him, Miss Alexandra, uh, he forced me to go to kindergarten. Right. But he asked me, how did you know when to go home for Miss Alexandra. And I told him that when I saw German prisoners of war uh, uh, going back from here, their workplaces to their camp, it was time for me to go to go home. Wow. So uh, after, after that, my, my, fa my father told me you have to go to kindergarten later, you have to go to school, but whenever you have free time, you are free to visit Miss uh, he, he didn't call her Miss Alexandra. He also called her Matenka. You are free to go to Matenka, to see Matenka. And another thing, I don't know how it happened, I just can assume. When he picked me up, he called me Greg. And of course, I didn't know who Greg is. So probably he assumed that for time being, call you Stasik, Stan, and later we will see. And I remain, sta remain Stasik for the rest of my life. My wife doesn't call me Greg. She calls me Stasik. Hmm. Your story is uh, tremendously compelling. I uh, just want to clarify, uh, Part of the detail then. So your father left Vilnius for a time to go fight and try to fight and then was able to come back and reunite with you? Yes. Uh, he escaped ghetto in 1943. I think it was August 1943. He survived that ambush, uh, which I think he reached in Belarus, partisan in Belarus, which Belarus is... Belarus border was uh, 30 kilometers from, uh, from Vilnius. Uh, and for more than a year, he fought with Belarus partisans uh, until Vilnius was liberated, I think it's June 1944. And he came back uh, first hoping to find out what happened to my mother, his wife, uh, and knowing that he had to had child, so he came back to city. How did he find you? Uh, I assume that he knew where Miss Alexandra okay. was living. He never met her. Uh, uh, therefore, it took him time uh, to get me because she refused. She said. I never saw you in my life and you came from the street and you claim that my Stasik is your son. I don't know. So he had to find living witnesses who could prove that story and 
eventually when the story was proved, she says, okay, if your father, it's your son. Wow. That's, it must have been obviously just very difficult for her. And It was difficult for her. It was difficult for me. I, I don't remember details, but I assume I was taking away from my, from my mommy to some person who I never saw in my life. So, yes, it was a difficult time for everyone. How was, uh, you probably have some memories then, or your earliest memories then with life with your father again. How was, how was that? It was a difficult time for everyone, not specifically for me. Uh, country was destroyed, city was destroyed, uh, not enough food, not enough jobs. So, it was difficult for every child because parents were concerned of providing for, for family. And my, my, my father, by his character, uh, he tried to help those who survived Holocaust because he was one of the leaders of underground organization in ghetto those who survive, who needed help, always asked him for help. But he was, uh, even under communist regime, he was recognized as leader of that underground uh, organization. So he, his authority helped number of people. He, by his character, he could not properly balance family and public obligations, and so on. So it, it was not easy. Yeah. Lauren Bloomberg, let's bring you in for a moment here. How are we doing with Greg's story? You know it very well. Um, Greg, well, you heard this incredible story, which could be a movie. Um, you know, Greg mentioned for a minute about um, Gitella Gittleman, who could be his sister, mm. and also how... Um, maybe he should tell the story of how Miss Alexandra was recognized to be one of a righteous Gentile, because that is an important element of the story as well. Please. Yes. Uh, Thank you. I mentioned about another Jewish girl living with Miss Alexandra. Her name is Gitella Gitlman. He was younger than me. She was born in ghetto to the parents and grandparents who did not have work permit, which means they were destined for Panare, for extermination. Their family managed to build false wall in the room they occupied. Because it was big family, they managed to occupy one room. Because in the ghetto, in one room were living number of families, but their family was big. So they occupied one room and they built that false wall. So during that action or search, their family was hiding behind that wall. First action was taken by Jewish uh, police, and it lasted just less than a day. So they were hiding there, and her grandfather covered her mouth with his mouth, giving her a chance to breathe through his lungs so she would not cry. Months later, Gestapo performed action of search, and that search lasted for two days. So they were hiding behind that wall for two days. 
they managed to get some kind of medication like for anesthesia and put that girl to sleep with that medication. So two months old girl for two days were under that medication. Most likely she would never even wake up. Somehow as soon as surgery was over, her parents, I don't know how, but they managed to smuggle her to Miss Alexandra. But this was a different story. Kitella was typical Jewish child. Miss Alexandra could not take her to City Hall. That heroic woman, risking her life, she built doll, size of child, and took the doll to City Hall. And when she entered the registration department, she told everyone, please don't come close. I have dying child. That child is sick with some kind of infection disease, so you may get sick. That child is dying. She may die in an hour, she may die in day. But I am Christian. I cannot throw child on the street. I want to give her human burial. I need birth certificate and I need death certificate. When people heard infection disease, they wanted to get rid of her as soon as possible. They registered birth, they registered death, gave her a piece of paper, get out of here. Having birth certificate, Miss Alexander managed to get Gitella into Catholic hospital and save her life. Her parents survived, and right after the war, they picked her up and moved to Palestine. And they were leaving Palestine when, in 1957, Miss Alexander moved to Poland. Gitella parents communicated with her, sent her medication, and so on, so on. Uh, in 19, looks like in 1992, mother of Gitella submitted testimony about Miss Alexander to Yad Vashem in Jerusalem. And at that time, Miss Alexander was recognized as righteous among nations. And when we visited Palestine, Israel with my wife, and we went to Yad Vashem, we saw that uh, stone monument with hundreds of names of righteous among nations, and we found her name, Javetsky Alexandra. We are talking with Greg Shibnesky today on Yom HaShoah here on Buffalo What's Next, Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Remembrance Day. Lauren Bloomberg also with us uh, this morning. And you're right, that is a, an unbelievable story, one that does sound like it's a, like it's a, it could be from a movie, but it was uh, real for sure. Um, did you ever get to see your sister again? Your sister, uh, who moved to Palestine with her, with her no. parents, you never did. No, we never met. Never did meet no. it again. Sorry to hear that for sure. Um, so, how long did you stay in uh, in Lithuania with your with your father? Then, did you move on fairly soon after that? How how did that go? Uh, did you move? You, you were with your father after you left Miss Alexander yes, with I your stayed, father. I stayed with my uh, father uh, until. When when I was drafted in in military, uh, 
1958, I think I was drafted to Russian military. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I left to serve in Russian military. Uh, after one year of serving outside uh, in Latvia, I was transferred to Vilnius, my hometown, where I served for another two years. And being already in Vilnius, I married my fiancé. And when I was released from military, I moved already living uh, with my wife, never uh, coming back in living with uh, my father. Uh, how was, where did your father go from there? How, uh, when did he uh, pass? He passed in 1967. Hmm. Yes, he was. He was sick because life in forest, life in ghetto, life in forest does not improve your health. So he he was pretty, pretty sick. So he passed away in 67. So, in 1967, you went back to Poland. Yes. Uh, my uncle, brother of my mother, he survived the war and ended up living in Poland. And we decided to visit him. So, we went to Poland. Uh, and basically, he asked us, if we know where Miss Alexandra lives, and my wife remember her address, she was living, with my uncle lived in Warsaw, and Miss Alexandra was living in Poland. Poznan. Poznan, I'm sorry. Uh, and we jump in the car, <laughs> and we drove across entire Poland to uh, Poznan, and uh, we realized she was, she was living in a retired nun's dormitory uh, because when she left Soviet Union in 1957, uh, there was agreement between Soviet Union and Poland that uh, people who were citizens of Poland until 1939 could freely leave Soviet Union. She decided to leave to Poland. Well, while living in Soviet Union, uh, the only income she had was uh, 600 rubles pension she received for saving life of major of Russian army during uh, fight for liberation of city. When she moved to Poland, and move from one city to another, that pension lost track, and eventually she ended up without any income, so she went to church and asked for help, and at that time they gave her room in the dormitory. Uh, so we found her there, and we ended her room. She, My uncle asked her, in, of course in Polish language, do you recognize this gentleman, and she looked at me, no, I don't know this person. And my uncle says, this is Stasik. Our recollection with my wife is totally different. Okay. <laughs> uh, the way I recall, I could read 
all the, her feelings on her face. She was ready to cry, but she took hold, took hold of herself not to ruin moment. And she just said, I knew that I will see you again. Mm. Of course, she hugged me and kissed me. And of course, everyone was crying. And uh, we, we talk about her life, about our life. At the time, we already had our daughter, so we shared picture with her. And uh, you can uh, imagine a room in Nan's dormitory is very, very simple bed, table, chair, and wardrobe. And she opens that wardrobe, and one shelf, whole shelf, was packed with every single letter, every single greeting card we ever sent her. She didn't destroy anything. She kept as memory every, everything, everything. And at that point, she removed two documents. In 1943, when rumors spread that ghetto will be liquidated, she realized that most likely my parents will be dead and I will be her child for the rest of our lives. And she decided, wait a minute, yes, we registered, I registered him, but I don't have any piece of paper. So in '43, she went back to City Hall and told them, listen guys, Two years ago, you registered my son, but you didn't give me any piece of paper. Can you give me a copy of that birth record? They gave it a copy of Stanislav, Marion, Kostko, parents unknown, and so on. She kept it. She gave it to me. Hmm. And there was a piece of newspaper from 1944. I mentioned she saved life of Major. During the fighting for liberation of cities, through the window she saw that someone fall down in our courtyard. She didn't care it was German or Russian. She saw human being in need of help. Sixty years old. She went out of her basement, crawled to that person, pulled him to basement window, eventually pulled him into her basement, took care of her wounds, and as soon as the city was liberated, she reported to Russians that she has a Russian soldier. Medics came over and realized it was not soldier, it was major Russian army. From political standpoint, it was a great event. Local population saves life of liberator. So, military immediately sent military correspondent to write story. And that correspondent saw a bunch of little ki children running in that basement, so he was curious, and Miss Alexandra told him story about each child. He was so amazed that biggest portion of that article was about her saving this Mm. Children and that whole article it, it calls big family. Yeah? 
uh, starts with my story, how I got there, uh, continue with story of Gitella Gittelman, and there was there is picture, and on that picture, uh, first to the left, that Christina girl who stole me, me, and Gitella, and another child. So she kept that newspaper. So she gave me that burst record, and she gave me that newspaper, and we, we still have it today and va value it tremendously as memory. as memory of the sweet lady. So it was tremendous, absolutely tremendous meeting. We promised her that we will visit her as often as we could. Oh, it's different country. It was not easy. Even it was communist uh, power in Poland still to get from Soviet Union to any other country, even communist country. It was very, very difficult. But we promised that we will do our best. Unfortunately, just one year later, she passed away mm. in 1968. I'm sorry. Sorry to hear that. Um, Let's maybe expand this conversation just a little bit. Lauren and, and Greg can both get into this. And Greg, you know, you're, you mentioned your age earlier, what, 82, right? You said yes, you are. Yes, a couple of days ago. <laughs> a couple of days ago for your happy birthday. 82, in that thank you. Yeah, yes. um, the importance of continuing to tell the stories. I know this is something that you go around to schools to do, but what about the importance of making sure that this holo these Holocaust stories continue because there are fewer and fewer, unfortunately, well, People who are going, you know, that's the way the time's going to work. What, what about that? Well, we are so fortunate to have Greg because he is one of our youngest survivors. We, we have, um, yesterday was our Yom HaShoah commemoration, the Holocaust Day of Remembrance event. And we had one of our survivors who is going to be 102, who still does regular speaking engagements, was able to participate in our commemoration but as our survivors age and their memories are not as sharp, it is the importance of our descendants, so our, the children of Holocaust survivors and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors, to continue telling these stories so that we never forget. I myself as, am a grandchild of a Holocaust survivor, and I am working on being able to tell my grandfather's Holocaust story to schools and the community like Greg does so often. Are you, uh, it's interesting to hear you say this, are you working to, to build and understand that narrative and the specifics Absolutely. of it? Absolutely. I'm I'm presently taking a course where I'm trained and you work on creating a, a presentation to, to be able to tell the story of your family's yeah. Holocaust experience. How far have you been able to go um, along that well, road? It sounds like quite a road. It is a, quite a road because um, uncovering documents and and getting research to find out that all of the facts of the story. My grandfather died when I was a baby, mm -hmm. so my information is coming from my mother and other family members. All right, thank you. And what about for you, Greg? Uh, I think my presentations are different in the sense that majority of Holocaust survivors, they tell story about their personal survival, their personal suffering, 
concentration camps, uh, uh, prisoner number on their forearms, and then so on and so on. I always, in any every of my presentation, I emphasize my story is not about me. I was too little to understand what was going on. My story is about the heroes who refused to be bystanders. And all my presentation is directed to tell young generation, don't be bystander. Fight any kind of hate, doesn't matter, it's anti-Semitism, anti-Christianity, anti-Muslims, any kind of hate, don't be bystander. This is message I try to bring to every single school. How are we doing? How you're, You've got the wisdom of 82 years. How, when I say we, how is the world doing it, not being bystanders? Pretty badly. Pretty badly. Anti-Semitism on the rise all over the world. Uh, France, Germany, Lithuania, Poland, everywhere anti-Semitism on the rise. How to fight it? I'm not really equipped to give suggestions. I do my part in fighting by bringing message not to be bystander. Right, and I guess that was my comment that was going to be. It's the only way to fight it is for good people, and there were probably good people in the World War II, in World War II in Lithuania who were bystanders, who didn't participate, but at the same time allowed. Yes. Uh, take a Poland. In one hand, there were horrible acts of anti-Semitism before war and after the war when Holocaust survivors coming from the concentration camps were murdered. Horrible. But at the same time, Poland has highest number of righteous among nations, over 6,500. So to me, Poland is represented by Ms. Alexander Zivetsky. This is what Poland is to me. Lauren, um, you heard the, the conversation. Um, what about that, the importance of continuing to tell these stories? Just as Greg stated, the importance by putting a face to the Holocaust, I think, you know, students can read about it in a book or watch a movie, but to see an actual person, hear the stories, what they endured, the bravery, courage, and resilience of the survivors and the heroes that he mentioned is the way to dispel anti-Semitism, myths, and, and just be it teaching children to be an upstander and standing up for what you believe. And the same question to you, uh, how are we doing as being, are we better at not being bystanders? Um, well, we have a lot of work to still do. And I think that just continuing to keep these conversations and dialogues going and, and sharing stories, educating, offering resources will create the next generation and make people understand that people have differences, but we need to accept them 
to be better people. We're coming down to our final few moments of uh, this episode of Buffalo What's Next. With us, Lauren Bloomberg, you just heard her, and also Greg Shersnevsky, a Holocaust survivor on this Yom HaShoah Holocaust Remembrance Day. All right, Greg, you're 82 years old, so you've got the wisdom. Do you have hope for the future? I mean, we talked about the bystanders and how more people need to not be bystanders. Is there hope? Do you feel hope for humanity? Yes, Yes, I, I hope that good people will prevail. Simple enough statement, that's for sure. Greg makes a statement in his, in, in his presentations that says there, there's evil in the world, but the world is not evil. And I think that that says it all. Wow. That's um, a great, great uh, thought to, to end on, I think, in that regard. Lauren, what about uh, programming from the Holocaust uh, Resource Center? Um, what should we look for moving forward? What can people utilize the center for, um, perhaps maybe to educate themselves to find out more about stories like Greg's? Absolutely. Um, through the Holocaust Resource Center of Buffalo, we have th a threefold mission to teach the lessons of the Holocaust. So that includes having survivors and descendants come into classrooms to speak about the Holocaust. We offer resources for teachers. Um, we have an arts and writing contest, taking teachers to the Holocaust Museum in Washington to offer that. Um, we remember the survivors and victims, so we have our Yom HaShoah commemoration service. Um, we we do other programmings for our survivors. We make sure that they receive meals and help medical needs if they need those, so we take care of our survivors, and we promote social justice, civic responsibility, and human rights, which means we teach children to be upstanders. We respond to any anti-Semitic incidences that occur and give people resources and how to address those. And we just try to combat hate through education. And since you brought it up, Greg, you've been to the Holocaust Museum in Washington? Yes, yes. And what is very interesting moment, uh, we walk through, you know, go from point to point to point, it was many years ago, and the end of the tour was model of a monument from Yad Vashem, from the Alice of Righteousness, and it was stone with name of Dzhvetsky Alexander. We were totally shocked. <laughs> Such coincidence. If I may share yes. a, a story about the Holocaust Museum, I... I uh, was the uh, chaperone for a group of sophomores, and as you can imagine what sophomores are like when you leave them in a, in a building for maybe an hour or two, um, they were totally silent and respectful throughout, and I think um, that speaks volumes about the power of that particular um, place. I want to thank you, Lauren Bloomberg. Thank you for having us today. Lauren Bloomberg is the Director of Engagement for the Holocaust Resource Center with the Jewish Federation of Buffalo, and Greg Scherznevsky, Holocaust survivor, Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It was an absolute honor. This has been Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown.